Howdy do, buckaroos. Welcome to what is personally my first podcast on the lovely and fantastic Incomparable Network. And uh, much love to Jason Snell for letting uh, my co-host and I come to him and go, so got this idea and uh, letting us record it. So um, welcome to the as yet untitled Westworld podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Kelly Gamont. My co-host giggling in the background there is Don Melton. Howdy. Hi, Don. Howdy. So I just realized like retroactively uh, how appropriate it is to start Howdy Do Buckaroos with a show about a Wild West theme park. So. Oh, shit. You're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't occur to me at all, but you're a genius, I mean, Kelly. You're not a genius. Me either, too. <laughs> I meant that. See, yeah. that was so clever, wasn't it? Yes. Um, it's not just because buckaroos is fun to say. So uh, we are going to talk a little bit. Well, we're going to talk a whole lot about Westworld. Um we're going to start, because we're starting this podcast now, the way we're going to break this down is we're going to do uh, the first half of the season. There are 10 episodes, and we're going to talk about five of them now, and then uh, we will talk about each episode in depth. Uh, there's a very real possibility we will end up doing some sort of rewatch in the off-season to help um, I sure so am. <laughs> to help, like... To help sort of ease the pain until we get the second season, which we know is coming. And in order to do that, uh, you know, we will we'll get real deep on the other stuff. So right now you're going to get an overview of the first five episodes. So keep in mind, if you haven't seen the first half of Westworld, we may ruin some things for you unintentionally because we assume if you're listening to this you've seen the first five at least uh as we are recording this uh episode seven will show up tomorrow evening so don tell us a little bit about westworld the show itself okay thank you kelly uh Westworld, as we all know, is a new HBO TV series created by uh, the husband and wife team of Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. The series takes place in the near future, don't know exactly when, within a technologically advanced, sprawling, Western-themed amusement park populated by synthetic androids called hosts, where high-paying guests can do whatever they want to those hosts without fear of retaliation. It, it's loosely based on the 1973 film of the same name, uh, written and directed by the late uh, Michael Crichton. But other than the basic idea of mayhem with androids and humans in a theme park, as well as naming the company which runs that theme park, Delos, this, there's not really much in common. Production is mostly old school, which I love. Photographed on 35mm uh, film with exteriors in beautiful places like Castle Valley, Utah, and using uh, as many practical effects as possible. Uh, this makes it look and feel at times like an old John Ford Western. Which, which makes old, both of us very happy. Yeah, especially an old guy like me who's seen a lot of John Ford Westerns. Okay, the series... Uh, explores an awaking of consciousness among these artificially intelligent hosts, contrasting that with the often depraved behaviors of the human guests, as well as the political drama and intrigue going on behind the scenes with the Westworld staff and creators as they try to remain in control. In the show's mythos, the host technology was created by Robert, a character named Robert Ford, played to the hilt 
by Sir Anthony Hopkins and his mysterious partner, Arnold, who we never see, and who apparently died in the park 30 years prior to the events unfolding when the series starts. Although the host androids originally started out as mechanical beings, the technology evolved so they're now flesh and blood, manufactured via a process like 3D printing. And while their artificial bodies are often murdered by guests, the Westworld staff can easily repair or remanufacture them just like new. Now, Ford and his staff are also storytellers placing and replacing the host within individual loops in larger narratives for the guests to enjoy and exploit. Once a loop is completed or simply interrupted by murder, the memory of the events and the trauma are erased from the host's electronic brains. Early on, we're introduced to two hosts. Dolores played so delicately and perfectly by Evan Rachel Wood, and Maeve played just as well by Tandy Newton, who in separate storylines slowly discover that their entire lives are elaborately constructed lies. Now, Bernard Lowe, played by Jeffrey Wright, is the head of programming and Ford's assistant and protege. He has many private conversations with Dolores, exploring her development, and we're still not sure about what his agenda is, but he's a guy to watch. <laughs> then there's the man in black, because he, the character is never named, uh, played by Ed Harris. And he's such a longtime visitor uh, to the park, he gets whatever he wants from the staff because he may just have been a financial savior of it in the past. Now, now, during his current visit, he appears to be on a destructive quest to find what's called the maze, which he thinks of as the final chapter of the game at the heart of Westworld. Other characters include Logan, played by Ben Barnes. Uh, he's another veteran guest, albeit much younger than the man in black, who fully embraces the black hat role in the park. He brings with him his future brother-in-law, William, for a visit. And these guys are both rich. We don't know how rich they are compared to the men in black, but they're loaded. Uh, mm. But William embraces the white hat role unlike his, uh, his future brother-in-law, and chooses to follow Dolores' quest for consciousness outside her normal narrative loop. It's entirely possible that the story of Westworld is being told in a non-linear fashion. After all, Jonathan Nolan is responsible for the writing behind his brother Christopher's films Memento and The Prestige. So, there's got to be a gotcha coming, we think. And mm. since the hosts do not age, we're never quite sure when we are in the park's timeline. There you have it. So the first thing I want to point out is that um, the show we are talking about is not uh, a family programming. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty safe to say that. So... Um, for the record, neither will our language be. So when we're talking about some of the people and what they're doing, we may use some saltier language to do so. Uh, so just kind of keep keep uh, an ear out for that. Just 
letting you know if you want to listen to this at work. Uh, maybe not. Maybe save it for the car. So, <laughs> or save um, it for the headphones. Yeah, headphones for sure. Uh, so we have a lot to cover, so we're going to just jump in. Um, we're going to start with uh, cred, I guess, bona fides, since we're in the Old West here. Um, I've seen every episode at least twice. I watched it once to be watching TV, watching the show, and then watched it again for uh, the stuff that I missed while I was having my mind blown by a reveal or pondering what it was that conversation means and all that kind of stuff. Um so I, I watched once to watch and then once to pay attention. What's that in the background? What's he got in his hand? Uh, you know, this person's always wearing a particular color, stuff like that. Um, and I talk about the show constantly. I've talked about it on Twitter a bunch. Uh, I've talked to uh, people that I know and gone, have you seen Westworld? Like, I can't talk to you until you do because <laughs> I need to have this conversation with somebody. Um, so I'm super excited about all of them. <laughs> so uh, so that, there's my bona fides. Don, what's your bona fides? Uh, well, I got into it uh, a little late. I think you started watching from the first episode. I think I started watching after the second episode came out like an idiot. Uh, and I've watched them certainly all twice. Uh, uh, and I've watched, I've watched all the existing episodes myself once, then watched them twice myself, then watched them again. Again with my sister, so I guess that's three times. And now I'm in the process of doing that with my wife. And I'm such a maniac. I go back and I like, I'll even do things like turn the audio off, turn the uh, subtitles on, and skim back and forth through them because mm -hmm. they're just jam packed with detail because they're so yeah. well crafted. Uh, and the funny thing is, is the reason we're doing this podcast is basically. <laughs> A Twitter rant I did, what was it, like two, three weeks ago? Yeah, about, they, like two weeks ago about, uh, about well, see, so your bona fides are that you saw the original Westworld film. In the theater. In the day. <laughs> yeah. So let me just point that out first. That's um, how fucking I, old I am. <laughs> I, now, when exactly did that come out? Uh, that came out in uh, 73, and... For okay. God's sakes, people, it's not based on a book by Michael Crichton. The book came out in 74. It was a novelization that Crichton did based on the screenplay he wrote. Which for he West did write. Yeah, for and directed. Yes. So I will point out that uh, I was not alive when the movie was released because Don really needed something to drink about today. <laughs> um, so there you have it. Um, the The... So Don was ranting about this on Twitter. Like, why do people keep saying that this show is based on a book? It's not based on that the show and the movie were based on a book. That's not true. And then I think I replied to you and said, well, isn't the book just the novelization Michael Crichton wrote after he wrote a script? And, and then I like, thought, yes! just, <laughs> and then I fell in love with you, Kelly. Because, uh, you know, I had seen so many people, I'd heard in other podcasts, people getting this wrong. And Kelly obviously was a person who does her homework and has a clue. <laughs> and it's not really hard. I mean, you can find this out just looking at Wicked Fuckingpedia, right? It really wasn't complicated. But I remember, um, I remember the book. And that was part of it was I, I sort of remember, like, I think I may have read it when I was when I was small because, like, yeah, that didn't warp me forever. Um, so I think there was there was something about, like, I read it 
as a younger person, like it was in the library, I'd read everything else on that shelf and wanted to clear it or something, you know, and, and I remember it, remember seeing like on the cover, something about like the novelization of the film by Michael Crichton or something like that. And I remember asking my mom, my mom or my dad, I don't remember who, but I remember asking one of them, like, what does this mean on this book that I'm reading? Um, and they explained to me that it's, you know, when, when a movie comes out sometimes after the fact, they will write that, you know, they will give you a novel based on the movie as opposed to today where people write books and then they turn into films as if by magic. Um, <laughs> so I remember pointing out to you, I was like, well, I thought, you know, like I sort of was baffled that people didn't know that that was a thing. And, uh, and now here we are. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, Basically, it's uh, this is a way for Kelly and I to distract ourselves about uh, news that's going on, which we will never mention again. Yeah. Uh, we so we're gonna mention- we're gonna skip off to Westworld, where we have five episodes to discuss. Like I said, so uh, my apologies to all of you if it feels like we are going faster than the monorail that takes you to Westworld in the first place. Yes. But we got a lot to say, so. Um, the episode titles that we are talking about, just to make sure, because we will probably, you know, name check these throughout the the yes. rest of the show. Uh, episode one is called the original. Episode two is called Chestnut. Episode three, the Stray. Episode four, Dissonance Theory, and episode five is Contrapasso. So, overall, there are some really interesting themes that get sort of brought up again and again in a bunch of different ways and every approach to them is a little bit different, but they're still all sort of dealing with the same thing. Um, so first is, uh, not like sort of who, but also what, uh, makes something real. Is this real or is this not real? You know, you're in a real place, but like if we take Disneyland as an example of a theme park that people have access to today, if you go to a Disney park, it's a real place in that you are there and you can touch things and they exist. And like in this particular dimension of reality where we exist, that's an actual place. Now, is it a real place? Well, no, it's a theme park. So you're not really in Morocco when you're at the World Showcase in Walt Disney World. You know, you're in a you're in a place, but you're in a theme park of a place. So. One of the I'm, Don, I'm going to let you pose the question because there's a, there's a question well, that somebody asks of one of the hosts. Right? Are you because he doesn't know? Are you yeah. real? It, well, and the the answer um, uh, by uh, Tallulah Riley is Angela to William. Uh, Tallulah Riley is Elon Musk's ex-wife, by the way. Uh, oh. When William, uh, played by Jimmy Simpson, asks, "Are you real?" she says, "Well, if you can't tell, does it matter?" And this is a question not only to you as a visitor as Westworld, but in the end, it's a question about synthetic human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, when when do you cross the line and they're no longer synthetic? This is this is asking you when do you when do you, when do the rights kick in when do the privileges kick in mm-hmm. because it's obvious the hosts are essentially slaves so yeah. so it becomes a very interesting commentary and uh part of what makes it commentary is that you start 
the way the characters are presented to you, uh, there are human characters for which you don't feel anything or you feel dislike. And there are mechanical characters for whom you have warm feelings, good feelings, happy feelings, you care, you're invested in the storyline of that character. So it's interesting how some of the human characters, like I'm not going to talk about real and not real, but some of the human characters that you would think you would be sympathetic to are not sympathetic characters at all. And then on the flip side of that, you have Android characters where you go, Oh no, I hope they're okay. And because you're invested in them, you care what happens, even though we know, you know, in our minds, we know they're robots, but in our hearts, you know, I want them to be all right. I, I, I care what happens. So it's a very interesting one. Um, the other one that I really like is another one that gets distilled down to a line from an episode um, about humanity basically being over or at least like on on a downturn. Because there's this conversation that's had where uh, it's discussed how at the in, in this future you know, whatever the future is that, that this particular moment of the series is set in, uh, they talk about how they've basically like engineered disease out of existence, engineered defects out of existence, um, in, in people, you know, there's, there's really not illness. There's really not any of this stuff. And one of the things that, uh, Anthony Hopkins says in, as part of this conversation is, is he's talking about humanity and says, this is as good as it's going to get. So isn't he a ray of in sunshine? <laughs> right. Yeah. And and this is something that sets, which I just thought of, and I'm not sure if we discussed in our prep rounds here, another aspect, uh, and he's discussing that with Bernard, another yeah. aspect, although it's sometimes easy to pick out who's wearing the white hats and who's wearing the black hats, yeah, it's very clear Nolan and Joy are fucking with this, and that oh, doesn't really hard. It doesn't have meaning. And five episodes in, we're still not sure who the good guys and the bad guys are. I mean, right. hell, the man in black, for all his vicious, viciousness, may be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Doctor Robert Ford. Some things he does, you think, well, that's that's pretty sympathetic and nice. And the other times, you know, it's Anthony Hopkins really channeling Hannibal Lecter there. Oh, yeah. So, so well, and, there's, and there's even also, Bernard, who's like the everyman observer, what the <laughs> fuck is he up to? Well, there's also a little bit of um, your point of view. Yes. You know, something that, something that uh, Ford does – for the guests, maybe great for the guests, but it may be terrible for the hosts. You know, it sort of reminds me of um, there's an episode of Doctor Who where basically all of Doctor Who's foes like band together and they're like, we all hate each other, but we hate the Doctor more. And they all see him as a threat to the universe. They see him as a terror. They see him as something horrible. Because their point of view is all he does is like show up and lay waste to their species, lay waste to their civilization, lay waste to their way of life. And so to them, he's horrible. You know, to Earth, he's a hero and protects the planet again and again. But to all these other places, he's awful. So like, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Well, who are you? Because it's all relative. Right. And, uh, and it's I this will probably grayness. talk about Doctor Who more later. But yeah. yeah uh, I knew... <laughs> I, I had a timer here, uh, 
Oh, okay. To, to mark about when Doctor Who came up in this podcast. So <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the other timers I have here. Yeah, it, okay. it is this grayness of mm-hmm. uh, of motives and behaviors that are oh so fascinating because one of the things that they do is, you know, the, the evil bastards, it, they, it, it basically sets you down this path of introspection. Mm-hmm. Because just when you think you're identifying with somebody, you go, now, wait a minute, what in the hell am I identifying with that for? That's really yep. nasty. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even even the hosts, which are obviously the slaves in this world, not all the slo- hosts are squeaky clean either as right. they slowly wake up. So mm-hmm. we don't even know what their motivations are. Is it going to be like the original film where they run rampant and you know kill all the humans? Or are they just trying, as Dolores says, you know, I want to be free? Mm-hmm. And what does that even mean? So and yeah, what what is her definition? What does that mean for her? So let's let's talk for a little bit about Dolores. Uh, she's well. Well, one I of just wanted care- to point point out yes. that all these themes are in this context going on. These narrative loops. This Groundhog Day for androids, which I yes. think what you said that uh, – how did you put it? They're all Ned the Head. They're and all Dolores, Ned the Head. And Dolores becomes Bill Murray, right? Yeah, who realizes, I wake up every morning to I got you, babe. And yeah. You know, and, and, and I know that there's a thing that's going to happen. And, and she starts to sort of realize that. Yeah. She start well, it's the question that – uh, the voice in the first episode, the opening, um, uh, have you ever ne- questioned the nature of your reality? Yes. Bernard asks her. And yeah. uh, while she's sitting there talking to him inside her head, not moving mm-hmm. her lips as a fly crawls across her face. Yeah. And then not just her face, but then like you, you start to – you notice – that it's like this this long shot of her face and like it slowly pulls in and you notice that a fly lands on her face and then you start to notice that she's not moving that she's not reacting in any way to the fly on her face and then you start thinking well what happened and then it crawls across her eye her open unblinking eye and that's when you're like oh something's up that's when Something, the, that's when the hair when the, on your your leg starts crawling backwards yeah, it was uh, it was very weird. So she's actually one of the main characters, at least so far in the first half of the season. Uh, and she is one of the oldest hosts in the park. And remember, they don't well, age. They, they, say, they say technically she is the oldest host. Oh, okay. W- what's unclear, uh, because Stubbs says that in the first episode, Stubbs uh, played by the oldest Hem- Hemsworth bro- uh, brother. Yes. He's, uh, he's the assistant guy in what's called QA. And what we don't know is whether her body is still an electromechanical body or it's one of these 3D printed bodies. I suspect the Mm -hmm. latter because he says she's been repaired so many times she's practically new. Yeah. Uh, Because her narrative loop is absolutely grotesque. She's basically in Westworld as the Innes, innocent, the Christina in the Andrew Wyeth painting, <laughs> uh, uh, to basically get uh, raped 
and murdered uh, at the hands of the guests wanting to uh, do that. Yeah, well, wanting to gun down her protector uh, mm-hmm. and take advantage of her. And her protector, and do you want to talk about this? Because you and I both thought this was the greatest thing ever. And they do this big reveal yeah. 15 minutes into the show uh, where you think there's a guest coming into the park mm-hmm. and you're totally invested in this guy. Uh, Follow play- this guest on a journey. Played by James Mar- Marsden. You think he's a guest uh, on this journey and he encounters D- Dolores. She says, I knew you'd come back, right? Yeah. And you start going, oh, well, you know, it's like obvious, you know, it, it gives you a whole layer of information about the park when she greets him as familiar and knows who he is. And you start thinking, oh, people come here a lot. And like somehow this guy has decided that that him and Dolores are thing. And, and, you know, it's, it's almost sweet the way he's like, yeah, I came back for you. And, and, you know, they have this conversation where it's obvious they're very familiar with each other. And then, and then it sort of gets weird because he shows up, you know, we have the se- the same loop with Dolores every time. They head back to the house. The cows are still out, and it's like nightfall, and they're not supposed to be out still. And you hear the gunshots up at the house, and she goes rip snorting up there, and someone has killed her parents. And and then so Teddy is the, is the character's name. Teddy James Marsden's character. Teddy's with her. They head up there, and. Teddy goes to shoot the guest that has done this. In this case, in the first episode, it's the man in black. Teddy goes to shoot him and he pulls the trigger and a bullet is fired. And absolutely nothing happens to the man in black. The man in black, by the way, is is uh, dressed to bring to mind Yul Brynner's gunfighter android For character. Yeah. sure. <laughs> From the original movie in 1973. It's sort of an inside joke. But yeah. It's it's a quick turn of the tables. The man in black is the guest. Teddy is a host, and he's simply there to die defending uh, Dolores, Dolores in the yeah, yeah honor in this loop. And uh, talk about oh shit, what just happened? Moment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, I've I, I by the way, I've talked to a lot of people said. Uh, who've told me after the fact? No, no, I I knew you was a a a, a host. Yeah, no, bullshit. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Don't yeah. give me that crap. <laughs> and then, of course, as the episodes unfold, um, this was one of the first things that I was tweeting about about the show, um, and it was you know in short, oh my god, they killed they killed Teddy. You yes. bastards. <laughs> That's totally um, and and for I think the first five episodes, he has died. At least once, sometimes multiple times in all yeah. but one of those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was. So he he's an interesting character, and part of what makes him interesting is that um, they sort of course correct him later yes. to do something else, and so they sort of add this whole different backstory for him, which means literally the next day he wakes up with a completely different reality, which is really interesting to me. Which um, you next- find out later on has happened to other characters like yes. uh, Maeve, who is currently the head madam in the uh, town the of Sweetwater the saloon. Yeah, yeah the, the Sweetwater whorehouse. But you They're find out. Ideas. But you find out later on her backstory is uh, 
that she had a completely different role in the early days of the park. Right. It seems as if Dolores has always been, you know, the Christina and the Andrew Wyeth painting kind of sweet farm girl. Yes. Uh, not sure. Uh, and you're not even sure when some of the other hosts were created or introduced in the park because right. as you get the look inside, they're always manufacturing new uh, human androids and they're always manufacturing new beasts, you know, mm. all the animals, the horses, the dogs, the, dogs, the, the goats, the scorpion that the they scorpion, try to put on the, the guy's head, the snakes, everything except the flies. And we'll get to that for yeah. Uh, for the so end, but let's let's back up a little bit and talk about presentation. There's another metaphor they use in here, and yeah. Kelly is all over it like a cheap suit. The player <laughs> piano, you know, the, we oh. talked about the I talked about the narrative loops. Uh, Nolan and Joy are just geniuses. You see coming on screen because it's a carryover from the beautiful title sequence, which is done by the same people who did the Game of Thrones title sequence, and the music yeah. by the same composer of game of thrones uh yes um, and it's beautiful music i love it i i have it running through my head all the time Mm. uh you see the player piano and kelly tell us about that player piano (laughs) well the first time that we see the player piano is in the first episode um you notice like in the there's a saloon and there's a player piano and it's playing a song you know on a roll just like any other player piano and the thing to me that was interesting about it was I noticed the song and we were watching the episode and I had to back it up and I listened to it again and I went, Mr. Kelly, I think that pia- that player piano is playing Soundgarden. And he went, nah. So I backed it up a second time and I start singing along with it. In my eyes, indisposed, in disguises, no one knows. And it, what? So <laughs> then I went and looked it up, and I'm exactly right. So the player piano Black in the Hole first Sun. episode, <laughs> Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden, which interestingly includes the lyrics, times are gone for honest men, and sometimes far too long for snakes. And I, I remember sort of like flipping through the lyrics in my head and going, somebody didn't just throw a dart or like hear it on the radio on the way in and go, hey, we should put this in the show. This is deliberate. Every one of these is deliberate. And, so and, that was and one. it's deliberate per episode. And Raman yes. Jawadi, the composer and music director, has said uh, publicly like we that meant he, to- yeah, we meant to do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the songs are on a player piano. You don't hear the lyrics or anything, and they're playing right. in a Western setting, and they sound like something you would you would hear in the uh, the eighteen sixties or eighteen seventies. Yeah. So if you're not, uh, if you're not a Soundgarden sound fan, they don't sound anachronistic or you no. know whatever. At so first. if you're not a Soundgarden fan and you watch the first episode, you have no idea that's what's playing on the player piano. It just sounds like the player piano is playing a song in the background, and you're like, okay, they have music in the bar. Like that's it. Right. So they also and, included in another episode, uh, No Surprises by Radiohead, which I thought was particularly interesting because of the lyric, a job that slowly kills you, bruises that won't heal. And like, yeah. if there was ever a job description for a host, there it is. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I think it's the, the following episode, uh, The Cures of Forest, yeah, which is. The, the girl was never there. It's always the same. I'm running towards nothing. 
I'm running towards nothing again and again and again and again. Everybody remembers the end of that song. Again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. And then we get the one that that I knew instantly. Once I knew that what I was hearing was was a more recent song, I immediately started keeping an ear out for the player piano. And we get something I something I can never have by Nine Inch Nails. Yes. And which includes, I mean, like there's a lot of apropos lyrics in that song, but one in particular that that I thought of, uh, particularly as it relates to Dolores, is uh, though it all looks different now, I know it's still the same. Yeah. And and like I said, the the lyrics are never spoken out loud. They're never sang. But if you hear it in your head, you go, uh, in the words of Clifton Collins as Lawrence, motherfucker <laughs> yes boy they're clever yeah, uh, and, and, it and just, if you're interested <laughs> you can get for you for each person i'm sure it's very different you can go google the lyrics to those songs and probably find other things that you're like oh but kelly you didn't even talk about this one like yeah i know i just picked one out of each one and went this maybe you know this is sort of the thing and uh so those are the ones that stood out to me and you know like i said uh for other people, they may be a little bit different. Well, so, wow. so let's go into some of these other uh, presentational aspects. I, I talked about in the in- introduction about how they did this with uh, the filming and the production mm-hmm. and, you know, this epic scale and old school. That, By the way, they still do obviously use lots of digital effects for those yeah. those iPads. Uh, you have sent that note to Johnny Ive, right, about – uh, you one, yeah, uh, you want one that thin. Yes. But let's talk about uh, other uh, lyrical and metaphorical weirdities, like your favorite. And I, <laughs> um, I don't want to steal the words because you're so brilliant when you <laughs> told me that last time. I go, I, I go, motherfucker, she's right. <laughs> I didn't so even thought of it that way. They're filming, like, there's a theory that we will get to. They are filming this in both a literal and metaphorical uncanny valley. So, right, folks. Boy, so true. I'll show myself out. Um, <laughs> it's this hypothesis that as a robot is made more human, people will respond to it with a, a positive emotional response. And then there's a moment where it's like almost too close to being human, and then people are like, ah, it's creepy, it's creepy, it's creepy. And then as it gets less human again, uh, the emotional response is like, yeah, I'm, you know, yeah, it's, it's more positive again. So the dip in that is called the uncanny valley because if a, per- if a robot is too much like a person, then people won't like it because it's creepy. So like, Robots are cute. Robots are awesome. You know, we've got Asimo, we've got C-3PO, we've got whatever, you know, and we love them. And then as soon as we get robots that are pretty human, people go, ah, no, 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 creepy, 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 creepy. And then as they get like almost less, like extra human almost, um, people are like, oh, okay, it's a robot again. It's cool. Right. And are happy with it again. So that's the the actual valley is the map of emotional responses to robots. Right. And they and, use this to their, their advantage in that yes. first scene that I talked about and that uh, Kelly described with Dolores sitting there. 
buck naked, blood smeared on her, not moving her lips, and the eye, uh, rather the fly crawling across her eye. Yeah. And then at other times you see her looking perfectly normal. And Jesus, you're you know you're always thinking, when's that shit gonna happen again? Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, as the Westworld backshop workers take the hosts in for servicing, servicing or tune-ups or diagnostics. Mm. And, you know, they put them in analysis mode or, you know, they tell, for example, Dolores, lose the accent. And uh, and she has to pop in and out of these, uh, these states. By the way, these actors and actresses, I, I mean, Evan Rachel Wood, deserves an Oscar for this performance. And every, she and she's just got to stand in line here. Yeah. I mean, just everybody in the show, there's no bad casting anywhere. Absolutely not. It's it, And that's part of what makes it so great to watch because you see them, you know, um, remember the robots and most of what has to happen to them happens to them through voice control. So there's no, they don't hook a keyboard into somebody's arm and start typing stuff in order to like fix them. <laughs> they Bluetooth pair them. <laughs> yeah. So like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of not a thing. So they control them with these things like lose the accent, um, step into diagnostics, uh, you know, analysis, and they make them, you know, and then they, they repeat these things back. You know, it's been this long since our last conversation. This is what happened. You know, whatever report it is they're trying to get out of the host. Well, it's like they, I say when somebody asks me how I'm feeling uh, uh, lately, I always say I've been cleaned in service three times. <laughs> I'm going to have to adopt that because I always use data, uh, you know, functioning within normal parameters. Yes, I- <laughs> so... Maybe I'll have to update mine to a slightly less dated reference. There's there's uh, so many one-liners <laughs> that I, I've i been using with people who go, what the hell? Uh, over the last couple of weeks, who you can tell. You can always tell when somebody has watched the show or has not watched the show because if if they yep. crack up or humor you, you know, uh, that, that asshole, he's getting it. So anyway, <laughs> on, to, on to other uh, presentational awesomeness, the, the yeah. meta-commentary aspects. Uh, th- yeah. There's a there's a huge thing going on here where Westworld the producers are using it to sort of make fun of the genre and HBO and these uh, titillation dramas, right? Yeah, you know all the it, stuff that you're not supposed to see on TV. Yes. Yeah. It's not TV. It's HBO. So well, obviously. TNA so, and things like that. Yeah, so they, there's there's sort of commentary on that, and part of the commentary on that is that um, they're sort of taking away the titillation of it by having it be robots, you know, by having it be um, like there's there's and like the the plainest, most boring looking orgy at one point. Um, you know, like some of this stuff, they're they're sort of like turning it on its head and making it, you know, less titillating and sort of showing you what it is you're actually looking at. Um, there's commentary also on humanity in general, which is uh, one of the ones that's been really interesting to me. Um, and, you know, it's how much we rely on technology. Um, and for me, the reason that the whole, that, that the commentary on humanity is as interesting as it is, is because when this movie came out, when, when the Westworld film came out in 1973, 
I'm not entirely convinced that people really thought that this was a thing that could be happening in the world. Like they thought it was a very maybe someday sort of nebulous thing. And it's not nebulous now because in the other room, I have a speaker that will turn on my lights. It will turn on my TV. It will order things from Amazon for me. All of that stuff. And she has this pleasant female voice. And right now it's a little black cylinder. But at some point, what if that becomes a person who just sits at the kitchen counter until I tell them what to do? And do you really want it to ever question the nature of its reality? I absolutely do not because it knows what I buy from Amazon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what it could do with that information. Um, you know, we talked uh, uh, a lot about uh, the presentational aspect uh, yeah. of this and some of the performances we've mentioned so far. To get back to uh, the episodes themselves, uh, there's a um, – uh, uh, There's like a there, big reveal – there's a in well like there's a, every episode there's a big reveal in every episode well there's like f- there's 50 plot points in every episode at least right. but the big big reveals if we go back to the original some of the big moments uh, for me in there are of course um, uh, the great uh, performance by uh, Michael Wincott as the second host ever made yes. uh, old bill and old his bill. His stuttering uh, 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 conversation with um, uh, Ford. Uh, with Ford, you know, and shall they, we drink to the lady with the white shoes? White shoes. And, and here's the thing: is that he, for people who who may not remember this, he's uh, one of the hosts who falls pretty pretty heavily on the Disney Matronic side of the scale. Yeah, he he's definitely uncanny Valley time kind of oh, creepy. Yeah. He's got like a little herc and a little jerk and uh, you know, you, you can, for me, the finest bit of that is, is you can hear the little gears whirring right. and stopping and starting again as you hear him, as, as you see him move because we discover him, the context in which we discover him is we go down to the lower levels and we discover that Sub-level Ford is down 83. there. Sub-level 83, sub-level 83, cold storage. We discover that Ford is down there having a drink with him because he's lonesome for Bill, we, once old Bill's company? We don't know. Lonesome. Uh, uh, nostalgic. Nostalgic, maybe. yeah. Um, yeah. Or just sort of, a creepy fucking old man. Well, you know, there's that too. We can't <laughs> dismiss that. Um, but, but yeah. But, but on Wincott, you know, you see moment. this seams on his hands, you know, mm-hmm. for the old type of mechanic. You see. Uh, it, when he moves his beard, the, the scratches on his neck, and you see the wiring in his mm. neck. Uh, yeah. He's obviously not in good shape. And by the way, uh, let me just get to something here in terms of performance. Michael Wincott uh, perfor- performs Old Bill. Uh, and uh, there are a couple of other performances in this first episode, as a matter of fact. We'll get to uh, one later on. Lewis Hertham as Peter Ab- Abernathy, the host who is... Uh, Dolores's father and uh, Brian Howe as Sheriff Pickett. I heard a lot of people say online that the herky jerky movements and the 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 mechanical popping back and forth were digitally enhanced with special effects. Bullshit. <laughs> the only time that happened was when Brian Howe as Sheriff Pickett has the uh, fly crawling across his face and he has to do the wall-eyed thing to stare at the fly. Mm-hmm. They did a special effect for that, but 
folks, Lewis Hertham and Michael Wincott, they're just, just fantastic. that good. Yeah, yeah, they're just that good. You know, the thing is, and you'll hear them or see them and you go, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of hey, it's that guy in the show. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so we'll, uh, that's also one of my uh, favorite uh, scenes with Lewis Her- Hertham, which is, is kind of a big reveal in uh, episode uh, one, uh, where Mr. Mister Abernathy, uh, Dolores' dad, uh, this is, by the way, happening after uh, Dr. Ford uh, rolls out a, a software update to the hosts, which mm-hmm. adds this ability uh, that he calls reveries which allows them to use the erased portions of earlier memories mm-hmm. as a um, as a way to bootstrap special little creative gestures and behaviors that add to the realism of the host. At yeah, least little, that's like, moments of humanity. Yeah, to moments make them of hu- more human. At least that's what Ford says, but we don't mm. know how reliable a narrator he is. Right. And we don't know if it's actually him that really did this. I mean, mm. there's a lot of there's a lot of wacky shit going on. Anyway, Mr. Abernathy is out tending his flock, and he mm. notices something buried in the dirt, uh, and he picks it up, and it's a photograph of a woman in the modern world, uh, mm. in what looks She's like, in like time- Times Square or something. Yeah, it looks like Times Square, and. He just starts to go batshit crazy uh, with it. You know, he takes it back home and Dolores sees it. He shows it mm-hmm. to Dolores and the classic line, it doesn't look like anything to me, which yeah. I've, I've used that line, by the way, when somebody says, take a look at this, you know, or what do you think? <laughs> doesn't look like anything to me. Most of the time they don't get the joke. Uh, <laughs> but this so slowly sends Abernathy off his nut. And at the same oh, yeah. time. At the same time, one of the other hosts, Walter, goes completely off his nut in Sweetwater, uh, killing other hosts, not killing any guests because there's a single line of code that prevents the hosts Mm -hmm. from doing that, uh, and pouring milk down their throats and leaking milk himself and yelling at a guy named Arnold. Mm -hmm. He's obviously having a conversation on his head, and that's when... Uh, Teresa Cullen, who's the head of QA, uh, played also to the hilt by um, uh, Danish as- uh, actress uh, Sidsi Babnutsen, uh, puts her foot down and tells Bernard, roll back this, you know, damn Yeah, software. we're done with this update. We're done with this update. This is terrible. Because he says, oh, yeah, you know, we had one one host go a little funny. It's probably not the update. We'll just pull him. We'll, we'll take a look at it. Not a big deal. You know, it sounds like a regular sort of as much as it can be when you're talking about something with this level of human interaction. Um, you know, it's a base. It's a bug. We're just we'll we, you know, we'll bring one in. It was like a, you know, subspace anomaly. We're just going to chalk it up to a one off sort of a problem and not sweat it. And it turns out that's totally not the case. Oh, yeah. It is totally not the case. And my favorite scene then is when, you know, they're taking the host back and they also, the problem with Walter was pretty obvious, uh, mm-hmm. but they also discover uh, the problem because they interviewed Dolores because she and Teddy and Maeve and Clementine and basically all the ho- hosts that you met got the software update. Mm-hmm. They interviewed Dolores and they find out uh, that, uh, 
uh, Mr. Abernathy is off off his nut. So there's Lewis Hertham sitting buck naked in front of um, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, uh, talk about an app uh, uh, meeting his maker, so to speak, mm. and uh, he has so many great lines there as Hopkins moves him from mode to mode and configuration to configuration. Quoting Shakespeare, uh, like by my uh, by most mechanical and dirty hand, I shall have such revenges on you. Um, oh. And it's uh, and Hertham gets this so fucking creepy that you just crawl up in the back of your chair and behind well, and your couch. You know, it gave me uh, on on watching it again. It gave me a little bit of a. Hannibal Lecter almost because like you expect somebody to yell that with a lot of passion and a lot of emotion behind it. And he basically just says it and, in a, which is in funny. a nice normal tone of voice, which just makes your blood run cold that <laughs> this kind that this level, I mean, this sounds the way he, he says it, the, the way it's presented to you, you know, it sounds like normal conversation, but the content of it is basically intergalactic comeuppance for the oh, person yeah. he's speaking to and you start like and it very much reminded me of Hannibal Lecter who happens to be the other guy in the scene yeah which is totally funny that Hertham uh, pulls a Hopkins on Hopkins mm. and this transitions back to uh, the interview that uh, Stubbs the other Hemsworth uh, yes. is doing with um, Dolores which mimics the conversation you hear in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's apparently Bernard. Uh, that Bernard has, um, you know. Yeah. Have you ever questioned the nature of, of your rea- reality, kind of thing? And right. you wonder sort of is gives us this this. Uh, for me, it sort of gave me insight. Like they they sort of bring them in regularly, and this is sort of their their maintenance check. You know. Well, it's also I thought. Maybe this is Bernard because we find out later on he's spending quality time talking to Dolores fully clothed, not naked like mm-hmm. the normal procedure. My theory is is this is this is a prep session so she can pass the test with Stubbs later on. Yeah, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Anyway, she actually tells uh, Stubbs what uh, her father uh, said to her. These violent delights have violent ends. Mm-hmm. But she passes the test and she's reactivated. At the same time uh, that uh, her father's uh, character, the host, uh, uh, Mr. Abernathy, the original Mr. Abernathy, and Walter are marched down into cold storage with Bernard whispering, whispering something in Abernathy's ear that we never hear. And if you, mm. even if you turn on the subtitles, it says whispering in parentheses. It doesn't say, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't say what it is. Which, it, again, makes you wonder, what the hell is Bernard up to? And then the great thing is, is we've seen you know Dolores wake up in her bed, walk down the stairs with her little painting case and everything, walk out to mm-hmm. the porch and talk to uh, talk to her father we see her again in the session she walks out and it's a different father it's a different character different host it's mm-hmm. actually the bartender from the saloon in sweetwater has been repurposed to be her father mm-hmm. and she doesn't give a shit right 
You know, she well, just talks to him like she, this. As far and, as we know, she doesn't know. That's yeah, she doesn't know. has always been, will always be her dad. Yeah. But in the end, she strikes that same post leaning against, yeah, same pose leaning against the lovely white post on the porch. Mm-hmm. A fly lands on her neck and she swats it fucking dead. Mm. Fade to black, ah. end of episode one. You ever hurt another living thing? Exactly. Of course not. not. She says, <laughs> of course not. It is 100% outside the realm of possibility. This is a thing that she would ever do, let alone could ever do. And, and, then and, and they pre like this. You moment. see lots of hosts before this have flies crawling over them. I mean, this is one of the things that set uh, uh, Sheriff, uh, uh, Sheriff Pickett off. Uh, caused yeah. him to break down. And you see it happen to Teddy, too, earlier on. Fly crawling mm-hmm. af- across his face. He doesn't do a damn thing. And he doesn't, like, notice, almost, it seems like. Yeah. And and when you think about it, this is the, the fly is the first real living creature death in the episode. Because all the other deaths mm-hmm. are hosts. Yeah. And they don't actually die. They're just programmed right. to think they're dead. And they yeah. go through the the trauma of the process. Yeah, so. and then they they wheel them into HQ, hose them off, and wheel them back out again the next day. It's kind of I mean, it, on the one hand, it's sort of interesting. On the other hand, like if you stop, if, if any of the people who work there stopped and thought too much about what they were doing, they would probably quit. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I would be like, uh, no, I'm out. I I, I don't think I could. Um, What's inter- that was one of the things that was interesting to me, that the little moment of the fly. Um, one of the, the other ones that was interesting to me, um, I'm trying to talk really fast because I want to make sure that we cover at least some of the actual plot now that we've talked so much about the show, um, is when in episode two, Dolores is sort of standing outside and she's kind of out of sorts. Uh, it's not quite reverie, but it, it's pretty clear she's, she's having a flash- away. She's having flashbacks to everybody being dead in the street, right? Yeah. And this is so you're talking about sweet sort of looks like she's Yeah. To she's, everyone else it looks like she's a million miles away. So uh, she's sort of standing there and Maeve, the madam of the at the saloon, comes out and is like, You might be putting people off what we've got inside and I would like for you to move. And she turns around and looks at her and says, These violent delights will have violent ends. And Maeve is like whatever you say, white girl, like get moving. And, <laughs> and so Dolores, like she says that and then sort of looks at Maeve, like she's just seen her for the first time, even though she's been standing there for 30 seconds and walks away. Yeah. And that's the moment when Maeve starts to unravel and go along her journey. And her journey involves waking up while she's on a table being repaired at HQ. Yep, which bye. is a whole other arc, which we will, I'm sure we will get into when we start doing the, the episodes for the rewatch. But she becomes, oddly enough, she becomes an integral part of what's happening at HQ because every time something happens to her, she gets sent to HQ and she starts, she starts figuring unraveling out. the mystery, which is sort of causing her to unravel herself. Like yes. mentally, she starts... Like, what is happening? How can this be? Um, because one of her moments is... Be, because yeah. she, she, has, she has dreams, she thinks it is, of uh-huh. being a, a pioneer woman 
in the countryside with a daughter with a girl. and getting uh, you know raped and scalped by uh, savages, and she yeah, she like- can't justify that with. Uh, or rationalize that with the history that she knows about herself. Why am I having these dreams? And as we progress through Uh the episode, she just slowly starts to go more and more off her nut where, uh, is it, is it in the fourth or fifth, you know, she, in the second episode, uh, she wakes up as Felix and uh, Sylvester repair her, and she goes in the walkabout mm-hmm. about corporate and sees the dead bodies laying down and being hosed down yeah. like a you know. She a- sees specifically. She sees Teddy, like laying there naked, covered in blood, head squished up at a weird angle against because everything's like surrounded in glass walls, and so she sees him just sort of laying there as somebody in a bunny suit is hosing, literally hosing them all down in this room where they all sort of get cleaned up and then redeployed. And, you know, and she, and she sees him and recognizes him. She knows who Teddy is. And it's a very, it, it's one of those things that's really hard to reconcile. You know, that you, you see these moments once in a while, like in life. Um, the one I always think of is uh, there was a pipe that burst at my in-law's house between floors and so um it started to cause water to pour out of a piece of the ceiling in the kitchen and when you see when you are standing in the kitchen watching it rain that's a really hard thing to get your mind around yeah. <laughs> and i like she was sort of having that moment of it's raining in the kitchen like there is water coming from the ceiling and coming down and that's not ever a thing that is supposed to happen right and Yet this is what I'm seeing, and being able to try to reconcile those data points, it was very weird. Um, and by episode four, you know, yeah. she starts to see she she's having visions of the uh, uh, of the people in the bunny suits, and she goes yeah. back to draw a picture of it. Moment. Yeah, draw a picture of it and hide it in the floorboards. She opens up the floorboards. Because she's afraid she'll lose this time, and she discovers a stack of pictures she's already drawn. Of well, the I think what in she th- discovers in there is Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. Hi! Yeah. Just in case you forgot, it was us. <laughs> yeah, and we're fucking with you again, you know. Yeah. And then, so later, I, I think it's later in that same episode, uh, episode four. She embraces it, and the the big reveal there is, I'm not crazy, and she goes down in a you know a a hail of bullets with Hector and she knows that, uh, you know, it's not the end. Uh, uh, what is her, what is her line there? Uh, that I'm not crazy after all. And that none of this matters. And that none of this matters. And so she starts sort of trying to get herself sent back to HQ so that she can continue to work on this for herself. And I and thought that, that that was really great. And by the time episode six rolls around, boy, does she fuck with uh, Felix and uh, Sylvester. Ooh, boy. <laughs> so we, we learn, uh, we have another character we need to talk about a tiny bit, uh, which is um, uh, Armistice, who is this person that we meet as things start to take a darker turn in uh, like four, five and six. Well, uh, before uh, we get to that, let's get to yeah. uh, uh, the man in black at the end of episode one and him yeah. scalping um, Kissy, who's one of the characters who uh, uh, 
portrayed by the actor Eddie Roos, who unfortunately, two weeks after they shot episode one in his scenes, he actually passed away. Uh, He's a great actor. But uh, the character is a host. He scalps uh, Kissy, who's a, a sort of like Native American, partly character, opens up his head, and you see in the inside of the scalp this drawing, this motif that appears again and again, episode by episode uh, of a maze. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the man in black goes on a, a quest to find out more information of this, which is why uh, in the second episode, he kidnaps uh, Clifton Collins Jr.'s character, Lawrence and, and basically shoots up his town, kills his wife, threatens his daughter and her daughter, this little host, you know, child steps out of character suddenly and, you know, to save herself and her father tells the man in black where to find the maze, which leads him to Armistice in the next episode, who's a host with a really interesting tattoo. Mm-hmm. So, uh, What's interesting, so what's interesting in a bunch of ways is that um, as we were watching this, we were sort of watching like most of what the plot is dealing with at most of these points, like it starts to get darker. Like the first episode isn't necessarily all set up, but we spend a lot of time in Sweetwater, which may sound familiar to some of you who remember John Ford, as we were talking about earlier. Because um, Sweetwater's from one of the movies. I will think of the title of it in a minute. Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes. Okay. So, see, I've seen a Western. So, <laughs> uh, a West, okay, let me, let me qualify that. I've seen a Western besides Tombstone. Um, so, what's interesting is that we start in Sweetwater. So, we are sort of, over these episodes, we are sort of doing what I assume the man in black has already done ages ago, which is start in Sweetwater, stick to your rote little stories that are sort of benevolent, um, venture out a little further to Pariah, and then venture out even further still to where like it gets really crazy. And so we are sort of descending into the black-hattedness over these episodes at just as I assume the man in black has done. Um, which brings us to the theories um, as to like who exactly the man in black is. Right. And uh, to talk about that uh, in episode two, that's when uh, the characters I mentioned, Logan and William are introduced. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the, one of the, the prevalent theories, and we need to go back to some other moments, particularly about Ford and Bernard that we'll get to uh, later on. One of the big theories is because the host Stone Age, that what we're mm-hmm. looking at with this, the story is a nonlinear telling of two completely different timelines. You know, there are a bunch of events that are referenced that happened 30 years ago, and it may be that William and Logan's journey is happening in the future past and not the future present. And there's several clues to this being that, you know, when they're introduced in the Westworld headquarters, the logo for Westworld 
mm-hmm. is very different than the logo used elsewhere. The yeah. only time you see that logo is in the sub-level storage in the you know the old places where they're referencing old technology or the flashback uh, where uh, Ford tells Arnold about, uh, rather Ford tells Bernard about Arnold, his his you know uh, his original partner who died in the park years ago. Uh, and helped him create all the hosts and Arnold's quest for um, uh, get bringing consciousness to the host via this mechanism called the bicameral mind and this mm-hmm. pyramid of consciousness. And you know, you in that flashback, you not only see a aged, a really cool aged down Anthony Hopkins, you also see people with shirts and clipboards and logos in the background, which have this old Westward logo. And you all, the only other time you see that is in decommissioned portions of the park, like sub-level 83 and things like that. But you also see it in the brand new spanking clean scenes with William and Logan. Mm-hmm. And the Westworld Twitter account, the show account, has hinted that logos are important to understanding mm-hmm. the show. So the other thing that's really interesting is, you know, we talked about the narrative loops. Normally in the first episode, what you see is you see this loop where Teddy is always on the train and arrives with all the guests, even though he's a host. And he steps out and he bumps into this this big guy. And he also sees uh, Sheriff Pickett, you know, trying to... Uh, uh, to get uh, other uh, guests to join him in a crusade to get uh, Hesker, uh, Hector Escaton, who's you know killed the other sheriff, uh, played to the hilt by Rodrigo Santoro just marvelously. Delightful. Delightful uh, performance. Um, and we see, you know, uh, uh, Teddy walk in and see. Maeve as the madam in the saloon and uh, Clementine as her assistant, one of the hookers and other kinds of things. But in Mm -hmm. the world of William and Logan, you never see Sheriff Pickett Mm -hmm. and you never see Maeve. Mm -hmm. You only see Clementine. And maybe that's because it's happening in the past and Maeve is actually outside of town somewhere on her ranch with her Holding daughter. a little girl's hand before the well, Indians she, show up. Yeah, and get scalped. So there's something obvious going on there. Now, the second yeah, theory... Let me point out, though, that this this thing, this, this theory, uh, makes me feel a little bit like Lee, the guy that does a lot of the narrative stuff in the park. Uh, because <laughs> Lee Sizemore. <laughs> yeah, yes. because he has a moment of like... I know there's something more at play here. And he basically goes to someone else that works in the park and says like, I know there's more happening here than y'all are letting on. And she's like, very good. What is it? And he's like, (laughs) (laughs) he can't answer. (laughs) And he has no answer. And that's how I feel. Like I know something's up and, and I see all the pieces, but I'm not quite to the point where I can put them together convincingly. And so, and, and like, at some point, that's going to get really frustrating, but right now it's really fun. Right. So one of the other theories out there that builds on the two timelines theory is that William 
the theory is that, that if he's in the same the, character with the man in black in different that, contexts, yeah. yeah, that William is the man in black, that he somehow becomes the man in black, that William's story is taking place in the past, and the man in black story is taking place in the present, and there's something traumatic that happens that turns him into this the man in black, yeah, kind of an. Because right now, William is a very perceptive asshole, but an asshole nonetheless. Right. And William, when we meet him, like, he literally has to make a decision. When he first gets to the park, uh, the host that is with him tells him, uh, which hat would you like? We have black ones over here and we have white ones over here. And he chooses, literally chooses a white hat. Like, I'm a good guy. And he puts it on. Then, of course, once he gets to the 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 stagecoachy like old time train, you know, that actually takes you into the park. Um, here comes Logan zipping up his pants, dressed head to toe in black. If he was wearing any more black, he'd be Johnny Cash. Yeah. Um, and and it, obviously it, it isn't surprising at all. <laughs> that's one of the few things that happens that you're like, yep. I'm with you. I, I really you, figured that's you, what was going to happen. You know from the staging on the train, and you know from other things, that Nolan and yeah. Joy are just fucking with us again. Oh, yeah. And and so uh, the other thing that happens, you know, he puts on the, uh, the white hat, and it's not like 15 minutes later that it starts to get uh, dirty. For, yep. First with blood from a host, and then as they go on the trail, as he follows uh, Dolores, who William seemingly falls in love with that hat just keeps getting dirtier and dirtier per episode. So something's going on there. It's less and less white all the time. So yeah, keep an eye on his hat. It's kind of fun to watch. The Um, other big theory out there, and this will take us back to some show moments I want to talk about is that Bernard is actually Arnold because one of the things that happens in episode three, when Ford takes Bernard into his office and does the reveal about uh, his old partner, yeah. uh, Arnold, he Arnold. shows him a photograph and we find out in uh, uh, that it's, it's not actually Arnold that Ford's fucking with him and being an unreliable narrator. It's mm-hmm. actually a picture of the robot version of uh, Ford's dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, or maybe it's his real dad before he passed away. We, we have no idea. So, right. uh, the but there thi- is a robot version of Ford's father right. and it still exists and it still lives in the park in this little corner that nobody's discovered. And, and there's a whole thing about all that later that we will discuss, right? Um, and that gets but, gets us back but to. But that's Ford. the thing that we need to that we need to remember is like we're looking at a picture of Ford's father, but is it the human version of Ford's father or is it the host version of Ford's father? And we don't know. And, and this and, is one of those moments when another moment when you start going, Ford is Obi Wan Kenobi. He's there's there's more to this story that I'm just not getting included on yet. Or he's Darth Vader. Uh, we we really yeah. don't know yet. For example. There's the um, there's this creepy scene with Ford and Bernard in that reveal, and then in episode four, probably one of the scariest damn quiet lunches I've ever seen in my life, Terrifying. where uh, where Ford takes to ter- uh, Teresa Cullen, who's the head of QA, uh, to to sit down and talk and have a bite to eat at mm-hmm. one of the locations inside the park. An old and, location. 
an old location uh, because Ford's beginning his new narrative after he puts the smackdown on Lee Sizemore's narrative, which was a piece of shit. Uh, that um, and Ford, by the way, when he does the smack uh, smackdown in episode three, gives the greatest <laughs> description of game design ever. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is fantastic. But anyway, I got to say that this scene with Ford and Teresa. The lunch. Fuck, it is as creepy as the scene with Ford and Abernathy Abernathy. or just about any other scene in the series. And it's daylight. It's a couple of middle-aged or older people. They're not saying anything that's directly threatening. Mm. Holy. But they're both. You can totally tell they're going toe to toe. When you watch it, you are see what you see is two people who are having a conversation in a conversational tone of voice, like you and I are having a conversation. And when you so like the first time, you know, like when I'm watching it and I'm watching the first time to watch, these are two people having a conversation. And as you listen to the conversation evolve, you realize that it's really a uh, a very like what they're saying and the conversation they are having are very different things. So they're saying these things and really what they're saying is I have a new narrative that I'm going to build in the park and I'm going to need you to stay out of my way. Well, I'm going to need a reason why, because fuck you, that's why. Yeah, and, it's basically it. And let me back that up with some proof. Yeah. And there you go. You know, now I hope you believe me when I tell you you need to step off. Right. And that's, that's why is is he a good guy having. or a bad guy, right? Right. And because the thing is this is this is almost violent. You know, we we're seeing these ah. scenes of the old west where people are shooting each other up. Huh? And it's not nearly in a way as dangerous or threatening as this scene at a table having lunch. She's now, sitting across the table from him and says, I remember coming to this restaurant with my parents when we came to this park when I was young. In fact, and basically she says, this might even have been where we sat. It might have been this chair. And he says, basically, not might. It totally is. Because it's my job to know about the people that I work with, more or less. Um, to I know totally everything. know everything. And yeah, and... Let me tell you other things I know about you, Teresa. Uh, <laughs> so. it's, it's, it's awesome. Now, at the same time, yes. this kind of political tree is playing out. We've got another host that's gone off his nut. That's a stray that's running around the park, which sends Elsie and Stubbs, Elsie and programming and Stubbs and QA, chasing it. Yes. Finding what looks to be like a host that's so nuts, he's drawing constellations or something, which Bernard tells Elsie later, that's not Orion. It looks like Orion, but it's not Orion. And when they do find that host, the host, instead of attacking hit, uh, them, bashes its own skull and brain to almost smithereens with a huge rock. You know, you see the host lift up the rock, and you think, oh, he's going to throw it at Elsie and Crusher, this is so trite and no, fuck, what? He's bashing his own head in. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, that, that moment was, that moment for me was very scary and then even scarier when I assumed that they had been programmed with like an ounce of self-preservation and that that absolutely was not happening with this guy and like how broken is he 
that this is, you know, that this is what, you know, once he finally got his hands on a rock, this is what he's doing with it. Because he is, he's holding the rock. He, t- he takes a couple of steps towards Elsie, who's on the ground, completely freaking out. And rightfully so, because a dude with a rock is standing over her. It's a huge he, rock, too. <laughs> and he raises this giant rock over his head. And you're like, oh, God, she's going to get it. It's been fun, Elsie. And, you know, if you're me and your brain is already going a million miles an hour, you're like, maybe she's a robot, too. And then he pull, he brings the rock down on his own head and then does it again and, and does again, it again. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, some more. But, like, the first time, you're like, like, it's almost like, oh, obviously it was a mistake. Like, did he drop it? Like, is something really wrong? And then you realize, oh, yeah, something is really, really wrong with him because he just keeps putting it down, pushing, pulling this rock down on his own head, bashing his own head in. And it's very creepy. And, yeah. There's like, and there, there's so much more going on with that, you know, that moment of, of tension. And then you start but, thinking, but again, like, oh, so- this is it. This is the moment. This is when we're overthrowing them because he's going to hurt not just a guest. He's going to hurt staff. Right. And this and is, like, this is the beginning of the revolution. Right. But right. they sub Nolan and Joy subverted again. Yes. Just like they're subverting something else and it took me my wife picked up on it right away uh and this uh this starts well it starts in episode two but it's really brought to prominence in episode three thematically with the bookended scenes with dolores and bernard as Mm -hmm. bernard is obviously surreptitiously without anybody else in the park knowing it interviewing and talking to dolores Mm-hmm. And not having her strip naked or do any other humiliating things. Uh, she's fully clothed. They don't seem to be in corporate headquarters. My theory is they're in a basement somewhere, maybe the basement underneath uh, Dolores's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Bernard's even bringing her gifts, not chocolates, but, you know, uh, a book, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, that was subtle. You know, just hit me yeah. with something thematically. And reading a passage uh, from Lewis Carroll that's like right to the meat. And then, you know, you see... Well, and when he brings it to her, she says something about it being like the other books you've brought me. So this is not the first time this has happened. They have this long-standing yeah. relationship. And again, if the theory is right and that Bernard is... Or rather, Bernard is really Arnold, you don't even know if this is happening in the present or the past. Right. Right? So, uh, you know, just way to fuck with us all, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I can't uh, wait to see where we go from here. Right. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Christ, there are so, uh, so many, there are so many other scenes, uh, like in, uh, episode five, you know, where Elsie, after she finally examines the stray, she discovers that industrial espionage it mm-hmm. it had a laser based satellite uplink in its uh in its arm, mm-hmm. and you know presents that to uh, Bernard, uh, and we didn't even mention the affair that Bernard and Teresa are having, and mm-hmm. then at the end of episode five, it's you know three guys walk into a bar time, mm-hmm. only those three guys are the man in black Teddy and Ford, yeah, and Teddy is obviously 
with Ford's new backstory that he uploaded uploaded two episodes previously, there's a lot going on inside Teddy's head. And boy, moment, yeah. is is there a lot going on between the man in black and Ford. The, and you can feel it. It's, again, a conversation where what's not being said is the actual conversation. And it's really interesting to watch the two of them who... You know, and, and in life, this is, again, a testament to the acting. In life, we don't know if uh, Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris were ever even in the same room together. And in this scene, you feel all of this history. And, you know, obviously, they've they've gone round and round before in some way. And it's very obvious, you know, in this scene, the layers and layers of interaction that these two guys have had over all this time and for all we know they met each other the day they shot this scene yeah (laughs) they're all such the performances in the show are just are just stunning uh the the level of detail that goes in uh is amazing and the craft and care and passion that uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy and the producers. Oh, and by the way, did we mention one of the producers is J.J. Abrams? And this <laughs> is a Lost style. Uh, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, bad. Bad know, robot. Bad robot production. Yeah. Uh, and you can you can really see the uh, Lost DNA in this uh, in this you thing after a while. Can. Okay, so I I think we may have talked this to death. Five episodes to death. What do you think? I don't even think we scratched the surface, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, I know we'll get to it on the re- the inevitable rewatch. <laughs> yes. So I'm not too concerned about that bit. Which, which um, when we do that, that may be uh, my sixth or seventh viewing. I, I, I don't know. So Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, to be completely honest. Um, so next episode, we're... Super fun. Yeah, super fun. So next episode, we're going to try to cover episode six which came out last week and we may do mm-hmm. that do that separately or we may do six and seven together boss what do you think depend well it depends on on what we find out in episode seven tomorrow night um whether or not six and seven can go together as one of their own or whether we should just do one each um and we're also going to have it, we're also going to have some, we're also going to have to we're also going to see if we can get some other folks to join us because there there are plenty of other nuts on the incomparable network we'd love to talk about westworld <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. And uh, hopefully, you know, later on, by the time we start having guests on, we will have a title. <laughs> ah, that's just un- untitled Westward, uh, Westworld podcast. That'll be easily searchable. That'll that be might easier. be a good title. Yeah. Um, so, so this is it. Um, yeah, so- I think we're going to go ahead and stop now so that we, we have um, – <laughs> Like maybe we can split this up into like two shorter-ish episodes and uh, make something happen there. Yeah, the funny backstory here is that we recorded this whole thing yesterday, much more disorganized, and it was just as damn long. And we tried to do it today (laughs) shorter, and it didn't work because we're motor mouse. So, uh, uh, Kelly, where can folks find you? To Uh, you can find me on Twitter, and you are more than welcome to uh, send me. Uh, your 140 character or less crazy theory, you are welcome to send me to your website where you have expounded at length about your crazy theory. You are welcome to send me the link to the Tumblr that does nothing but crazy 
gifts of things from Westworld. I don't care. Um, whatever kind of stuff you want to make sure we cover in the show, uh, by all means, uh, let me Send know. It. And uh, yeah, we'll totally want to talk about it. And that's at Verso, V-E-R-S-O on Twitter is where you can find it. Yes. And I'm cleverly, now get this, I'm kind of being deceptive here. I'm cleverly at Don Melton on Twitter and you can you can just send it the same shit along to the boss here uh Kelly yeah. you can just send it to me or ask us about stuff or whatever um yeah. and we we want to try to not spoil you know spoil things for people if you haven't seen or if you want advice or whatever you know just let us know Absolutely. that's it yes sign it off alrighty uh, and we- thank you so much for setting this up Kelly <laughs> thank you so much for sitting through it with me and i think uh at least for now that's gonna do it for us and we will be back very soon with another episode of the untitled westworld podcast for you